God tells us, be holy, for I am holy in Leviticus 11.44. That means we're to be set apart, not to blend in with the culture. We don't live for job or money or status or things that just pertain to ourselves anymore. Our lives should look different than the unbelieving world around us, right? That's what God means for us to be set apart, to be in the world but not of the world, to lose our life that we might gain it, or to be new creations. You guys should get that. It's the name of the church here, new creations in Christ as is written in 2 Corinthians 5.17. In Ephesians 4 and Colossians 3, Paul tells us to put on the new self. As followers of Christ, we have a new identity. So I'd like to take a few moments this morning to just kind of look at this new identity and uh, as a follower or a disciple of Christ and then how that identity shapes our activity. Um, I'll mention three areas of our new identity in Christ. We are, you can see up here on the board, we're God's child, Uh, we are church family, and we are God's ambassadors. Those are three aspects of this new identity as a disciple of Christ. So let's look at what each of these entail, and then we'll turn our attention to the activity that this identity produces, and that's where I want to kind of spend most of the time. So first, we're God's child, and as God's child, there's a few things that God tells us to do. As God's child, we're commanded to love God and to love others, right? In Matthew 22, 37 through 40, uh, 37 through 40, the great commandment, Jesus essentially quotes Deuteronomy uh, 6, 4 through 9, 6, 5, actually. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the greatest and foremost commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Upon these two commandments hang the whole law and the prophets. So we are called as God's child to love God and to love others. As God's child, our Father expects our obedience. In John 14, 15, Jesus says, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. There's this idea that we are, our love for God is expressed in keeping his commandments and obeying him. And as his child, God tells us to be holy because he is holy, to be set apart, as I mentioned before, for his purposes. Um, This idea of holy means to be set apart or dedicated to God, or it means separated from the world and worldliness. This is repeated in 1 Peter 1.16, where Peter writes, Because it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. So this is repeated in the New Testament as something that God expects of us, as his child. So we are to love God and love others, obey him, and be set apart for his purposes. That way, the way we live day to day should reflect those things then, shouldn't they? That we love God and love others, that we obey God, and that we're set apart for God's purposes. So that's that's part of our identity as God's child. Second, we're church family. As church family, we must love each other as Jesus loved us. The same idea, love. Some of these, you'll see an overlap in in the things that we're to do. Uh, John 15, 12 says, This is my commandment, this is Jesus speaking, that you love one another just as I have loved you. So as church family, we must love each other as Jesus loved us. As church family, we're to consider others' needs more important than our own. We read in Philippians 2, 3 through 4, 
Uh, do nothing from selfish or empty conceit, but with humility consider one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. So this is another aspect of being the church family. We read a lot in Ephesians 5 about church family. It tells us that we must continually be filled with the Holy Spirit, uh, that we should encourage and submit to one another, that we should give thanks and sing God's praises. Uh, there's so much written in the New Testament about what it means to live as church family, how we are to interact with each other. But let's just uh, summarize with these few things that I've mentioned. To love one another uh, like Jesus loved us, consider each other's needs more important than our own, be filled by the Holy Spirit, encourage and submit to each other and give thanks and praise God. Look at, think of that picture. Is that, is that how the world around us lives? Do you see that often outside of your Christian friends and Christian circles, people living that way? If we truly live um, like that, our daily activity would look different than the world, wouldn't it? Okay, so we're God's child, we're church family, and we're God's ambassadors. That's the third aspect of this identity. As God's ambassadors, we must share um, God's word through our words and deeds with a lost world. <clears throat> our motivation is the great commandment that I read in Matthew 22, that we love the Lord our God with all of our heart and all of our soul and all of our strength, and we love our neighbor as ourself. That's the motivation. Our task is the Great Commission that we read about in Matthew 28, 18 through 20. And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to follow all that I commanded you, and behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. So as God's ambassador, the Great Commandment, is the basis for us doing the Great Commission, right? And doing the Great Commission is our fullest expression of the Great Commandment. To break that down a little more, the Great Commandment, which is to love God and love others, is our motivation to go and to make disciples. And by going and making disciples, that's our fullest expression of how, how we love God and we love others. So this is our identity as a new creation in Christ. We're a disciple or follower of Jesus who's called to be a disciple maker. And this is important because if, if we don't know what our identity is and we go and we do all these good things, well, then we're just doing empty activity. This is the activity that God calls filthy rags. Uh, it's just religious activity, right? But if we know what our identity is and we don't change our activity, we don't do anything about it, then we're, like James says, we're hearers of the word, not doers of the word, right? So that just amounts to hypocrisy. So it's important that we understand what, it our, what our identity is and we allow um, this new activity to flow from our lives. More fully understanding our new identity as, a, as Christ's disciple will result in new activity. The one automatically produces the other. Let me give you an example. Uh, when I became a father, I began to change diapers. I never did that before I became a father. That was new activity. I began to get up in the middle of the night and help to feed my uh, help feed the baby. I didn't ever do that before I was a father. So my activity began to change. I even learned how to use a curling iron to curl my daughter's bangs. So you know they kind of poofed out and came back in. 
I don't know, is that still a style that was back in the 90s, right? You know, Trudy, yeah? Yeah, so um, my identity as a father caused my activity to change, right? If I hadn't, I wouldn't have been a very good dad if my activity hadn't reflected <clears throat> that I, I was a father. So the same is true of our identity as a disciple of Christ. Being, a, being God's child, a member of the church family, and God's ambassador changes our day-to-day activity as we now love him and love others, obey him, consider others' needs more important than our own, submit to the Holy Spirit, have an attitude of praise and thanksgiving, and share the good news with people we meet. Our identity changes our activity. Um, I think you can probably go to the next one. Maybe we've never really thought about, you know, in practical terms, what does that look like? What does it look like to love God and to love others? What does it look like to consider somebody else's needs more important than my own? Um, A disciple's activity, we should be intentional, right? We need to be intentional with our activity. I think of Paul, the Apostle Paul, when he talks about not running around aimlessly or boxing uh, boxes, one beating the air in 1 Corinthians 9.26. He was intentional about his activity so as to win as many as possible, he says in that passage. So I borrowed an acronym from a friend of mine who's a pastor in New Jersey. His name's Bill Lackey. Uh, with his permission, I'm using this material to help us think about being intentional with our activity as a disciple of Christ. Instead of the ABCs of something, you know, that's kind of the, the basic foundation of something, it's the ABCDEs. It's a little longer. So let's look at the ABCDEs of discipleship. Um, as Pastor Matt mentioned later in March, Jody and I are going to uh, do a training here at New Creation Fellowship that dives deeper into this idea of intentional disciple-making in uh, methods of natural evangelism, and it gives you some really natural and practical principles you can apply to your lives as you, as you go out and try to make disciples. And so um, I'm guessing there will be more information in the bulletin later about that as it gets closer. Um, so we really hope to see you there at that. It, it's a great training. It's changed our lives in the way that we make disciples. Um, and so we hope to see you there. But today, let's start by considering these ABCDEs of discipleship. So the A is for abide. There's a lot of information there. Um, is this tracking with the notes that I gave? Okay, good. Uh, a is abide in the word and prayer. Uh, this comes out of John 15, 1 through 11, a familiar passage about abiding in Christ, about the branch and the vine. Uh, I am the true vine, Jesus said, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Remain in me, and I in you. Just as a branch cannot bear fruit of itself, but must remain in the vine, so neither can you unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, he is thrown away like a branch and dries up, and they gather them and throw them into the fire, and they're burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. 
My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. Just as the Father has loved me, I also have loved you. Remain in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and remain in his love. These things I have spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made full. Because apart from Christ we can do nothing, we must remain close to him. When we do this, according to this passage, we'll bear much fruit. Our prayers will be answered. The Father's glorified. We prove to be his disciples. And we experience his full joy. Those are pretty cool things, aren't they? Reading the word and meditating on it and being in prayer enable us to remain in God's presence. So I want to give you just a little... Uh, pattern, simple pattern that we can do to help us to do this, help us to abide in Christ. Uh, first is pray before you read God's word. That's pretty small, isn't it? Um, pray before you read God's word. Ask him to show you what he wants you to know, what he wants you to learn, what he wants you to do. Here, what does his word teach you about him, about people, or yourself? What does God want you to learn? Obey, what does it look like to respond to this passage? Is there a sin to avoid or repent of? Is there a promise to remember, an example to follow? Is there a clear command to obey? Write down your action step. That's key. Write write it down in the form of, I will do something that, um, that obeys that passage. Share, can you think of someone who would benefit from hearing the passage? Share it with them. So pray, hear, obey, and share. This is a way that we can continually abide in Christ, um, abide in his word, and uh, in prayer. Okay, so that's the A, abide. That's got to be the foundation for the rest of it, right? B is to build relationships. Luke 5, 27 through 32 says, After that, he went out and looked at a tax collector named Levi, sitting in the tax office, and he said to him, follow me. And he left everything behind and got up and began following him. And Levi gave a big reception for him in his house. And there was a large crowd of tax collectors and other people who were reclining at the table with them. The Pharisees and their scribes began grumbling to his disciples, saying, why do you eat and drink with the tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered and said to them, it's not those who are healthy who need a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, to repentance but sinners. Levi gathered together all of his friends and co-workers, right, for this meal so that they could meet Jesus and they could hear what he had to say. God has entrusted us all with relationships where we live, where we work, where we learn, where we play, where we worship, um, to be faithful stewards of these social circles. We must build relationships with those around us and pray intentionally for spiritual opportunities. So I'd encourage you to make a list. Make a list of five people. This isn't a new thing. People have been doing this with the Billy Graham Crusades for a long time. But make a list of five people that you know that don't know the Lord and begin to pray for them. And if you don't know anyone who doesn't know the Lord, then start to pray and ask God to help you to meet somebody and build a relationship with someone who doesn't yet know the Lord. Build relationships is the B. C, connect in conversation. Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9 says, Hear, Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. 
And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart. And you shall repeat them diligently to your sons and speak of them when you sit in your house, when you walk on the road, when you lie down, and when you get up. You shall also tie them as a sign to your hand, and they shall be as frontlets on your forehead, and you shall also write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. So this is the Jewish statement of faith. It's called the Shema. It comes from the first word here, there, which has the sense of hear and obey. Shema. The gist of this passage is to love God, to live out our love for God, to hear and obey anywhere, anytime with anyone, right? Spiritual statements and actions are ways that we can demonstrate our love for God and for our neighbor and to demonstrate the gospel and declare it. By weaving spiritual statements and actions into our everyday conversations, we're able to go deeper with people and see where God is at work, if God is already drawing them, um, if he's already teaching them. Think of this progression of conversations with people in your circles of influence. I call this the conversation quadrant. Going from casual to meaningful to spiritual to discovery. Um, that's kind of a progression of conversations. Identifying where you're at in a relationship with somebody, what kind of conversations you have, and trying to take it to the next level. An example would be this. Um, a casual conversation might start with, hey, what did you do this weekend? So that's very casual, and as the person shares, maybe you ask, moving it to a meaningful conversation, well, how did that make you feel, or how did you feel about that situation? Um, you know, it would depend on what the conversation is, but that's a way to move it into a more meaningful. If the person engages in the conversation, move them to a spiritual conversation. Say, can I share a verse um, that addresses that situation or a verse that's spoken to me when I felt like that, that's really given me peace or comfort? Um, if the person continues to engage, then move it to a discovery conversation and ask them if they'd like to study the Word together with you. It's, it's just a progression of conversations with that discovery aspect um, being the goal where somebody will study, begin to study the word with you. And that takes us to our next one, the D, which is discover God's word. John 6, 44, 45 says, no one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets and they shall all be taught of God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the father comes to me. So the one who comes to Jesus is drawn and taught by God, right? According to this passage, is already being drawn by God. Isaiah 55, 10 through 11 says, For as the rain and snow come down from heaven and do not return without watering the earth and making it produce and sprout and providing seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so will my word by which goes my word, so will my word be which goes out of my mouth. It will not return to me empty without accomplishing what I desire and without succeeding in the purpose for which I sent it. God's word will accomplish his purpose in those to whom it goes. So the foundation here is God and his word, right? By inviting people to study God in his word, obey what he says and share it with others, we invite them into this lifelong journey of spiritual growth. And people take more ownership over something if they discover it for themselves rather than being told something, right? So the next time someone comes to you with a spiritual question, invite them to discover the truth in God's word rather than just tell them the answer. 
if they're interested in studying, then study the scriptures together. So the last one, E, uh, I'm almost done here, sorry, I'm running a little long, I think. Uh, equip and empower. 2 Timothy 2.2 2 says, The things which you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, and trust these to faithful people who will be able to teach others also. I just want to ask, how many spiritual generations do you see represented in this passage? Let's look at them. You have Paul talking to Timothy, and it says in the presence of many witnesses. We know that Paul traveled around with his entourage. You know, he always had co-laborers with him. So Paul and his group were speaking to Timothy in the presence of many witnesses. So Timothy and a group of people telling Timothy to entrust, the, entrust to faithful people the word. Um, so that's plural. That's a, another group of people who will be able to teach others also. So that's four generations, right? Seemingly groups of people too, not just individuals like we so often do here in America. Uh, our target is to talk to individuals, but in the scriptures we often see people witnessing to groups of people. So we have uh, four generations. Every believer is called to help others follow Jesus better. And as people mature, they're sent out to multiply, uh, to see new disciples made, and to see new groups of disciple makers formed. So my question every time I meet somebody uh, or work with somebody or disciple somebody is to ask, are you being discipled by somebody? Is anybody discipling you? And are you discipling anybody else? There's that pattern, that Barnabas, Paul, Timothy pattern where you have someone who disciples you and you're discipling somebody else in the process. So I'd encourage you to consider that and, and look around at maybe who you could disciple or be discipled by. So these are the ABCDEs of discipleship. Uh, thanks to my friend in New Jersey. Um, I hope we'll all think about it and try to apply these things right where we're at, right where God has placed us. So A is abide in the word and prayer. B, build relationships. C, connect in conversations. D, discover God's word. And E, equip and empower. Yeah, equip and empower. Um, our identity as a child of God, as church family, as a, um, uh, as a disciple of Christ, as an ambassador of God, uh, really should determine our activity. Motivated by God's love and equipped by his word and empowered by his Holy Spirit, let's intentionally do our part, these ABCDEs of discipleship, and then give God the glory for his part, which are the results. Amen? Okay. Let's pray. <clears throat> yeah, God, we are just thankful for your word and for um, yeah, the fact that you have made us your children. Lord God, that we can be your children, that we can be part of a bigger family, the church family, and that we can uh, participate in your mission to the nations. Lord, wherever we're at, uh, we can go and make disciples. Father, I pray that you would uh, just help us with your word, with your spirit that lives in us to take these scriptures that we've read today and to apply them in our lives as we go out this week. I pray that you'd help us to do these ABCDEs of discipleship, help us to do the things uh, that your spirit moves us to do, that we might glorify you in our own lives and in the lives of others, and that we might see much fruit um, of new believers, Lord. We thank you and we praise you uh, that we can, and we're just privileged that we can be a part 
of your mission uh, on, in this world. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.